ask you to take your seats, but I think for Remembrance Sunday it would be appropriate to stand. So if you could stand, if you're able to do so, just keep you on your toes. I um, once knew a man called Fred, Fred Ryle, who is on the screen behind me. Uh, Fred was born in 1916, the very same week of the Battle of the Somme, and history would conspire to mean that he was just old enough to serve in the next war, the Second World War, which began in 1939. Fred was a man of freedom. He appreciated freedom, he valued freedom, and he pursued freedom. But in 1942, while serving with the RAF in the Far East, he and thousands of his comrades were captured by enemy forces, and he was placed into captivity for three and a half long years. It was a brutal existence and in conversation with him I recall his stories of seeing beatings, torture and execution on an almost daily basis. You may be able to just see in that photograph he's holding a number. That was his prisoner number tag, a human life reduced to just a number, a statistic. But within that experience Fred never lost sight of freedom he never lost hope in freedom, and one day he did return to England. In fact, he returned less than a mile from this building at Southampton Docks in the autumn of 1945 after the war had come to an end. And throughout the rest of his life, rather than be consumed by bitterness, Fred spoke to lots of people, school children, university students, anybody that he encountered, including myself, about the value and importance of freedom. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, and I believe within that statement is the belief that one day all war will cease, all conflict will cease. But as 2022 has shown us only too clearly, war is still present and freedom is still fragile. So I would encourage you to join with me now in a two-minute silence as we remember men like Fred and his generation and all of those who have served and sacrificed for freedom, as well as remembering those who are currently suffering in the pursuit of freedom.
Thank you, Dan. It is so important, isn't it, that we stop and we pause and we remember and that we continue to remember in our prayers those conflicts that are ongoing in so many parts of the world. Uh, we're going to show a little bit of all that's going on here this morning. So we are going to be um, showing now our weekly news, a bit of an update, find out more that you can get involved with. Thank you, Sarah. I love the little spin at the end. Um, it's great. So lots going on. Um, do uh, get involved in anything and everything you would like to. And uh, we are such a 
privileged uh, family to be together and have so many things going on and so many great people amongst us. We uh, would like to give our offering now, which actually enables us to do so many of the things that we do, including the warm space um, and uh, serving into the school and serving across the city. So the offering basket is going to be passed around now. Also, if you want specifically to give into the Heat and Eat Fund, which is supporting the warm space and also providing a fund for those who might find the things difficult financially over this coming season then you can just mark on the envelope as you give that or when you give online um, just to say you want it to go there specifically but why not have a look around why not say hello to someone near you especially if you don't recognize them or haven't seen them before or for a while So last week we uh, had Ben kick off our series on the Bible. And um, just as we've mentioned a few times, we've really sensed in this season that God has been speaking to us about strengthening the foundations of trusting in his word and also um, the foundation of relying on the Holy Spirit. And so this teaching series is to kick off and to respond to what we feel God's been saying to us about looking at God's word afresh with fresh eyes and recognizing how important it is that actually our faith is founded on the truth of what God tells us and that that truth comes from the Bible. We don't worship the Bible, we worship God, but the Bible is something that contains God's Word and helps us to understand who He is and also to get to know Him. So we're excited to have Phil speaking on the next installment of the series, and the focus this morning, the title is, What is the Bible? So Phil, why don't you come and tell us, what is the Bible? I'll try. It was the uh, summer of 1974, my first uh, long summer vacation as a student here at Southampton. And uh, during the first year, I joined the Christian Union. Remember those days? And uh, joined a prayer group that met every week to pray specifically for Eastern Europe. So I was in the Eastern Europe prayer group. And at the end of the year, I thought, wouldn't it be a good idea if I went to Eastern Europe? Not just prayed about it. So I, I joined one of these um, Christian holidays um, and went on a road trip, a coach trip, nonstop from London to Moscow. And um, at the Russian border, 1974, 
Iron Curtain, Soviet era, you know, really restrictive and anti-Christian atheist. At the Russian border, our coach, there were about 30, 30 something of us on the coach. Um, our coach was stopped, as was every vehicle, and we were asked three questions at the border. We were asked, have you got any guns? No. Have you got any pornography? No. This was pre-internet days, so, you know, you'd have to have it with you, as it were. Um, and have you got any Bibles? Ah. And it wasn't a Bible smuggling trip, as it were. But we as Christians have brought our own Bibles, and a number of people had brought Bibles, even if they were English ones, extra ones, in case there was opportunity to give them away. So because we said yes to that, or maybe they would have done it anyway, they searched us and our coach for seven hours and confiscated dozens and dozens of Bibles. They did allow us one Bible personally to take with us for the time we were in, in Russia, but they also assigned a guide to be with us day and night on the coach and in the tents as well. When we got to, to Moscow, we did uh, go to a, a church there, which uh, the only churches which then were allowed to exist publicly, openly, were what were called registered churches. In other words, they came under a strong degree of control and supervision from the communist authorities. And after the service, we hoped to um, mingle with the congregation, but uh, we were forced to stay behind while they left, and we were kept for two hours in the building so that they could disperse. But quite a number of them didn't disperse and stayed outside in the side road. So when we did get out, we were able to mingle with some and those who could speak English. Um, uh, I, I actually managed to speak to someone who could speak English. And I said, well, how is it? How do you manage with, with Bibles? And he said, well, we have one Bible in Russian between 120 of us. And we copy out portions of the Bible for ourselves and we pass it on to the next person who copies out and we pass it on and we pass it on, this one copy for 120. And I said, look, I've only got an English Bible here, but you speak English. Would this help you? Yes, please. And his tears streamed down his face. He received just my my English Bible. So the Bible was dangerous to some, have you got any guns, pornography, or Bibles, and was precious to others. So what is the Bible? Neil? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Small subject. I'm sure we'll cover it in half an hour, Theo. Let's start with a very basic, necessary truth. And that is that unless God reveals himself to us, we will never, ever, ever work him out for ourselves. Did you get that? We are not clever enough. We are not God ourselves. Our experience, our intellect makes no difference. We will never work God out exactly and accurately, if at all. 
So God, to be known, has to reveal Himself. And we thank God immensely that God is a God who has chosen to reveal Himself. Amen? How has God revealed Himself? Well, there's all sorts of types of revelation. There is, if you like, general revelation, you know, the sort of revelation that makes you look at creation and consider how amazing, wonderful, awesome it is and think, wow, there must be something out there somehow, somewhere that's behind all of this. That's very general. It tells us, it points us to, to, to something other than ourselves, but it doesn't tell us who or what that other is. Is it God or gods, for example? It doesn't tell us that, so it's general. And it certainly doesn't tell us how we can ever get to know this God. And so general revelation, whether it's looking at creation or considering, uh, the, uh, considering ourselves as human beings and that element of conscience, that, that sense of right and wrong that every person has, these, these are in loose, vague, general indicators of something else. In, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's written that God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. He's put a sense in us of what is beyond ourselves. The rabbit in the field isn't scratching his head thinking, I wonder if there's a God out there. But we as human beings strive after that which is other than ourselves, beyond us. And we may then, and do, tragically, mistake it and abuse it and end up in all sorts of false things, and we end up maybe even believing that there is a God, but like some Egyptian pharaohs ended up believing, despite the, the, the panoply of gods before them, ended up believing that the sun was the God, was God. So they had a revelation of there is one being, but falsely turned to the sun rather than the creator of the sun. And so God then reveals himself. And if we look at the next slide, we begin to see, and I make no apologies this morning for using a lot of Scripture references, Bible references. This is, after all, a talk about what is the Bible. What do you expect me to put up there? So in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Long ago, the writers of the Hebrews in the New Testament, looking back, speaking to Jewish people, saying, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. And that is the, the, the sort of flavor of the book of Hebrews, that this was all good in the past, but now Jesus is even better. In fact, He's the best, the supreme revelation. But through the, through the generations that have gone by, the writer is saying, God spoke to us. He began to reveal Himself, not everything about Himself or His will uh, in one go, but gradually and progressively building truth upon truth, revelation upon revelation, in relationship with human beings, in all their complexities, in all their failures as well as their successes. God spoke to us through the prophets. The Word of God came through prophets. And we have the Old Testament 
scriptures, what we call the Old Testament scriptures, which the Jews themselves still break down into three groupings, the law, the prophets, and other writings, like Psalms and Proverbs and the other writings. And that makes up the way. So we read the phrase, the prophets, as a shorthand, if you like, for all of those scriptures. But in these final days, supremely, God has revealed himself through his son. More of that in a minute. But then we read in the next uh, reference underneath, Peter, the apostle Peter writing, 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, he's, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets and prophecy here and says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or interpretation or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So we hear are just getting a glimpse into something of the process of how that happened. How did God speak? Why do we call this book the Word of God? Because God, apart from the tablets of stone with Moses or the writing on the wall in Daniel, God didn't write it by his own hand physically. He wrote it by moving human beings by his Spirit, moving them along and using their circumstances and personalities uh, 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 in their lifetime in a specific historical situation, moving them to bring revelation that was true for that period, but amazingly and miraculously revelation for us all for all time. Because it didn't come from their own understanding. It didn't come from human initiative. It came from God. Next slide. The famous verse about Scripture we often quote is from 2 Timothy, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, says to Timothy, you, you personally, Timothy, have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. What were they? They were what we call the Old Testament. And how they, those scriptures, have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us. And it carries on then, but I've just stopped the quote there. My point being, twofold. First of all, at the end, all scripture, all scripture, Paul was absolutely categorical about it. All Scripture, meaning the Scripture they had then, the Old Testament, is inspired by God. Meaning, or the word being in Greek for inspired, being theopneustos. You're in that one, Theo. You're at the front of it. Theopneustos, breathed out by God. God breathed. It is God breathed. It is expired by God. And we call it inspired because what he expires, we inspire. He breathes it out, and the Spirit causes us to breathe it in. Hallelujah. But look, look what the purpose is. So what, you might say? The purpose is really, really clear. Paul says to Timothy, you've been taught these scriptures, and they, and they alone, are able to give you the wisdom to receive salvation from Jesus. 
There's a point to these scriptures, not just for our um, entertainment or enlightenment generally, but for our salvation. The Bible is not a book or collection of books that will tell you everything about everything. It's not meant to be. If you want to know the details of 18th century French clock making, do not read the Bible. It won't tell you much. But if you want to know how to get right with God through believing in Jesus, it is the only book to read because it will give you wisdom to receive salvation like it did for Timothy. Now, this revelation, revelation, God revealing himself, God pulling back the curtains as to what was there already, but we couldn't see it. He pulls back the curtains and we see it. You think of, for example, the transfiguration when Jesus took three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto the mountain, and suddenly before their eyes, he was transfigured, he was transformed, he was changed into this glorious, shining as bright as the sun figure. That's his glory which was there all along, and Jesus for a time pulled back the curtains so that those three could see the real Jesus. He revealed the glory of the Father. Now look at this verse at John chapter 1. John, one of these three, the Apostle John, writes this, No one has ever seen God. Oh. But the one and only Son is himself God and is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, full of grace and truth. If you want to know what God is like, then you must only take a good look at Jesus. Jesus said, It's the biggest claim you could make. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. (laughs) How do we know that? We only know that through the Bible, don't we? How How do I know that? I know it because I've read it. And I know it then because the objective truth of that has become my subjective experience. The objective truth of God being revealed, the Father being revealed, has become my, my experience. Wow, you've, you've become real to me. It's not a history lesson. It's not academic. It's personal, real, and transformational. So revelation is to do, about, to do with God in three ways at least. It's to do with God revealing his name. In, in the prayer of Jesus in John 17, Jesus says, I have revealed your, your name to those you gave me. He said that to the Father in his prayer. I've revealed your name. So it's about revealing his name. It's about revealing his kingdom. And it's about revealing his will. We need revelation in all of that, don't we? We need to know the name of God and what that means in truth and live it and revel in it. We need to know the kingdom and seek first the kingdom above everything else. And we need to know the will of God and be filled with that. And so what did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer fits the revelation he's bringing, which we need to join in with. Next slide. And so, I want to suggest this morning that the Bible is these three things to us. Now, I know it's simplifying it a bit. You be the judge of that. It is, at one and the same time, to us a record, a revelation, and a relationship. Isn't it convenient they always start with RE? It's amazing, that. And so let's briefly look at, um, at each of those. First of all, it's a record. It's a record. So I've said God has progressively revealed himself, layer upon layer, through the Old Testament, the prophets, and through individuals. So God spoke to individuals, Abraham, Moses, David, all, lots and lots of individuals. He spoke to the nation of Israel. He chose this people that he would reveal himself and his glory and goodness to them so that they in turn would be a blessing to all the world. He spoke in the New Testament to the apostles through Jesus personally and then afterwards by his Holy Spirit to them and the church. You think of the letters to the churches in the early chapters of Revelation right at the end of the New Testament. This is what the Spirit says to the church in such and such a place. The Holy Spirit had revelation to bring and was speaking it to a specific situation. We want to know today, what is God saying to us? What is God saying to me? God speaks, doesn't he? But how do we know what he said? We know it because there's a record of it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So read it is the obvious thing, isn't it? Read it. So it's like, oh God, what are you saying to me? Yes, valid question. But the other question is, oh, he's already told you that. Be, put your trust in Jesus personally and be baptized. It's a record there for all time. Now, let's just quickly take a step back and look very, very quickly, I hope, at some basics here. What is the story? Because I know maybe some of you are thinking, oh, you know, you make it sound so straightforward. Do I? I don't know. But maybe I make it sound so straightforward. And you think, yeah, it's, 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 all, it's all simple. And it's not always simple, is it? When we read it, not all Scripture is equally useful to me at all times. It's meant to be there, and I learn from it, but I learn more from Corinthians, I find, than I do from Chronicles, I'll be honest, for example. But let's see. We tend to get a bit lost in the Old Testament. Let's just have a look at uh, what's the story. Now, I used to give this to, to students in our training course and say, look, can you sum up the, the, uh, in four words, two words for the Old Testament and two words for the New, can you sum up what it's all about? Um, historically, what does it cover? Not the themes like covenant or forgiveness or salvation, but what does it actually cover in the timelines? And so, don't call them out, um, but just think to yourselves, um, what would you say for the Old Testament? What would be the first one? And I would put in creation. Wasn't that clever? It's like I had a clicker. And then, uh, secondly, I would put in Israel. So, the Old Testament basically covers creation and the story of Israel. Time in the timeline. And so for the New Testament, you get the idea now, we would put in, first of all, Jesus, and then secondly, church. It covers the story of Jesus and the story of the church. 
out of all of those four, I think we, not coming from a Jewish heritage or background, struggle most with the second one, Israel, don't we? So let's just have a quick look at what is the story of Israel. In ten headings, what does it cover chronologically? And so we start with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the fathers of the faith. We go on to going down into Egypt and being kept in slavery. The story of Joseph down there uh, and then the, the, the terrible conditions that the children of Israel suffered under slavery uh, until the Exodus. There's even a book by that name, of course, where God led the people out of slavery and Egypt led by Moses, whom God appointed to do that. And they find, and then, then they do not immediately get into the promised land, but they spend 40 years walking around, wandering through the wilderness, the desert, during which time God gives the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. But finally, under Joshua, they enter the promised land of Canaan, and, uh, and God gives them the, the land that he's promised them. And first of all, they are led by judges, finally, like, finally, uh, Samuel, but Judges, and uh, again, another book by that name, and you can read all about them. But during that time, they wanted to be, unwisely, they wanted to be like all the nations around about, and so they clamored for a king. Please, can we be like all the other nations around us and have a king? And so, God gives in to that and tells them, you'll regret it, So, because they have a king, first of all, who is Saul, who's a real you know, real troubled individual. But doing three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, the nation is united. It's one united kingdom. Not us, but them. Uh, uh, but at the end of Solomon's life, the kingdom is divided. And so you get all that uh, account in Kings and Chronicles about this king of Judah and this king of Israel, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, during that time and mostly, or many of the prophetic writings are written during that time because the prophets, hearing from God, were saying to the people, not something new, but reminding them, this is what God has told you to do. Live by that, and God will bless you. If you don't live by that, God has told you there will be consequences and they'll be dire. But please, repent, turn back to God, and they don't, and so it leads to exile. And so they're in exile then in Babylon for 70 years, um, Daniel and Ezekiel, times like that, until finally God keeps his promise about returning them, bringing them back from exile to the promised land, to Israel, return, restoration of the temple uh, and the nation. And that is the story of Israel from Genesis to Malachi. So now you know. During this time, God progressively reveals himself. Let's move on. That's the record. Next. So we can tick that one off. Okay. So we move on to Revelation. I don't mean the book of Revelation, and I've already spoken about Revelation, but what I mean by it is this. If it was just a record, if this book, the Scriptures, the Word of God, was just a record of God speaking to other people then it would be a history book, wouldn't it? It would be, this is what has happened. But 
the wonderful miracle, the personal care of our Father in heaven, is that this same word, breathed out by the Holy Spirit thousands of years ago, spread over a long period of time, that same word, God breathes through it now and speaks to me and speaks to you directly, personally, with conviction and encouragement, whatever is necessary. Because, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, the Word of God is alive and powerful. Yeah, this Word is alive and powerful. It's not a history lesson. It's a current revelation of God to us. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Have you had that experience of reading the Word and knowing God has just spoken to me from that? Come on, who's had that experience? Of course, because God breathes it out again to us. But only if we can give Him that opportunity, take time to read it prayerfully and submit to Him. We submit to him. We don't set ourselves up in the court of higher judgment above God. We don't say, God, until you answer all my questions about all the intricacies and niceties of the Bible, and I have every objection answered and every query um, resolved, I will not believe in you. Let me warn you, if you have that attitude, you will never, ever get to know God. You have got to come to a place, we all have, not just you, we all have got to come to a place of humility and submission to God. I submit to your wisdom. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. They're better. <laughs> They're perfect, and I'm not. You've got to come to that place. When I started secondary school, I was given, we were all given, a Bible, entire Bible, a smart one, in a box even. It was great. Um, a free gift. And uh, so as an 11-year-old, I, I thought to myself, do you know what? I think I'd like to read this book. And so I treated it like a book, which you start at the beginning and work all the way through. And I, I got as far as about Genesis 12, I think it was, before it was like, what? You know, it, 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 I, I gave up. When I was 15 and came to know Jesus personally, when I surrendered my life to him, I said, Jesus, I need you in my life. I picked up the book again, and it was like lights were, sh were switched on for me. The same words right the way throughout it were just speaking to me radically and relevantly. Now, I still would say to people, don't treat it like an ordinary book and just read it from the beginning to the end. If Jesus is the best and supreme revelation of God, let's start with the supreme revelation and let that tell us about the, the gradual revelation. So start with Jesus, my, my recommendation would be to anyone, or go back to that or always keep in touch with the record of Jesus in the Gospels as well as all the rest of Scripture, but keep in touch with the supreme revelation. Billy Graham. Billy Graham, um, back in 1949, before his major public ministry had really taken off, 
um, he, he had a, a crisis of faith. And uh, because other people, including some of his closest friends, were telling him, you can't really believe the Bible like you used to. You know, you, you've not kept up with modern ways. You've, you, you need to, to be a bit more critical and, uh, and so on and not, not be so literal about the Bible. And he couldn't handle that because he thought, if I, if I chuck that out, there'll be nothing left to what I have to minister. And God, I need... So he went out into the forest, put his Bible down on a tree stump and said, and this is his own words in his autobiography, he said this, Oh God, he prayed, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are some areas in it that I do not seem to correlate with modern science. Father, I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. I sensed the presence and power of God as I had not sensed it in months. Not all my questions were answered, but I knew a spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and won. And his lifetime's ministry took off from that time. Not because he saw any power or integrity in himself, but because he put his faith in what God had said. There is authority. Jesus taught as one who had authority because he spoke from God. And he had no qualms about the Old Testament. His final word to any argument was, it is written. End of story. It is written. It is written. Let us not set ourselves up in some higher court that says, I will judge your word, God. Yes, there will be stuff we don't understand and struggle with. And we, what we do with it, in my experience, is we park it with the God who is faithful and true and who has answered enough questions for me to put my trust in him completely and leave him with my unanswered questions, even my doubts. And then you can move on. But if you wait for those to be answered, beware. Death will creep up on you before they're answered. Seriously. Seriously. John at the end of his gospel, said, these things are written so that you might believe. And by believing, have power in the name of Jesus. That's why they're written. And that's why we come on to our last bit. Next. Relationship. Thank you, Neil. Relationship. Relationship. Jesus said to the Jewish people who knew their scriptures, the leaders and scribes especially, knew them back to front, inside out. And he said to them, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Yet, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. You can be a professor of theology and refuse to come to Jesus. It's not about academic knowledge or knowing stuff inside out. It's about knowing Jesus. And that makes all the difference. He said to his disciples in John 15, Jesus said, but if you remain in me, look, there's the relationship. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted whoa. Look at the conditions, though. <laughs> it's, 
if you remain in me and my words remain in you. He was, he was actually mirroring what he said about his own relationship with the Father. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now he says, you be in me and my words in you and you will be able to pray in my name for anything and it will be granted. I'm not going to water that down. I'm not going to try and rationalize that. I'm going to just tell you what Jesus said. You can ask for anything you want and it will be granted if you fulfill those conditions. To finish. Sorry, Theo. To finish. I've got a fourth R-E word for our R-E, for our religious education. It is response. You see, once we, if we really, 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 really believe that this is the Word of God to us, then we've got to respond. And so, here's just a couple of response verses to consider. Jesus said, people do not live by, quoting the Old Testament, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We do not live, Jesus said, by physical food alone. We need to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Is there something you and I need to do to feed more on the Word of God? Is there something we need to adjust to our habits, our daily timetable, our lives, our priorities, our time, whatever pressures we're under? This is how we should live. Allowing God to speak to us in many ways, as you can see from these boards. God speaks in other ways, but primarily he does speak to us from the Bible. Secondly, in James, James says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. So the first response is, what can I do to feed on the Word? God, what are you asking me to do? What could practically I change? Secondly, though, what is it that God wants me to do to obey? Is there something you know right now that you need to do to obey God's Word? Don't be one who listens only, but be a doer. Don't be someone who takes a look in the mirror and turns away and forgets what they've seen. You'll fool yourselves. We need to do it. And that's what the response I want to leave with you. Thank you.